At Goodfellow, we are proud to support Outside In, a charity that aims to provide a platform for artists who face significant barriers to the art world due to health, disability, social circumstances or isolation. To find out more information or to donate, head to our website materialshub.com forward slash podcast. Welcome to the Materials Inside podcast by Goodfellow, the podcast that will bring materials, knowledge and science, along with art and design, together in the same podcast. Goodfellow is a UK company based in Huntingdon that supplies over 70,000 materials to different industries all over the world. Their team of scientists and sales and marketing experts want to make the materials world accessible to everyone. During the next few weeks, we will be talking about materials from aluminium to zinc for applications from satellites to planes, cars, ventilators, pieces of art and furniture. How do we link it all? Wait and see, or even better, listen to our podcasts. Presented by Joel Alexio, the Global Marketing Manager of Goodfellow, he will be speaking with a range of guests from industry professionals to public figures, artists, celebrities and Goodfellow's own experts. The material for today is borosilicate glass. Borosilicate glass is an environmentally friendly alternative to conventional glass types, which often contains lead and arsenic. Special grades of borosilicate glass are clear, colourless and contain virtually no bubbles, making it ideal to produce high quality optics. Borosilicate glass is relatively hard and consists of purest raw ingredients. When compared to regular glass, borosilicate glass has significant qualities including low thermal expansion. This makes borosilicate glass suitable for many commercial and domestic uses, including restaurants and laboratories. This material is made with 15% of trioxide. This is what gives the material many of its special properties. One of those properties is that borosilicate glass is much less soluble to the point where it can even be used to store nuclear waste. This material is also more malleable than regular glass meaning it can be molded into more complicated shapes. Later, I'm joined by Ian Doggett, Compliance Director at Goodfellow with History in Glass. But first, Aphrodite joins me to discuss the technical properties of borosilicate glass. Hello, Aphrodite. Thank you very much for joining me today. Hi, Joel. Thank you for inviting me today. So today we're going to talk about borosilicate glass. Often the first choice for optical in windows, lens and prisms, which properties make this material the best choice? There is a certain grade of borosilicate glass, which is named Crown borosilicate glass, uh, which has excellent optical quality, it has uniform transmission in the visible light, it is virtually free of bubbles and other inclusions. It also has a colorless appearance and it has very high refractive index and homogeneity in the whole bark material uh, and it also made of high purity raw materials. For all these reasons, this grade of borosilicate glass, which is the chrome borosilicate glass, it can be used for optical windows, lenses and prisms, as you mentioned. Specifically, the smooth transmission as well as a low absorption in the entire visible wavelength range are the crucial features for this large number of optical applications. Thank you, Aphrodite. So, borosilicate glass solubility 
means it can be used for nuclear waste, but it's also used for products like water bottles and glasses, is that correct? Yes, Joel. Borosilicate glass is very resistant to chemicals and therefore uh, it is used to store nuclear waste. Uh, the borrowing the glass makes it less soluble, uh, preventing any unwanted materials from leaching into the glass or the other way around. In addition, borosilicate glass has much lower coefficient of thermal expansion, uh, which means that sometimes, let's say, that you are just heating up and, uh, the glass and then, or you're putting in your oven and then you can run all over with cold water and it won't shatter. So for this reason also, it can be used for bottles and glasses and other cookware appliances. What does make borosilicate glass? environmentally friendly and also uh, a green material. Borosilicate glass is environmentally friendly material because also it can be as an alternative to conventional lead or arsenic containing glass types that you have already mentioned in the intro. So borosilicate glass resists chemicals and acids and it, it doesn't degrade and you don't need to worry uh, about it uh, if it's soaking into your water or if it's soaking in water so you can use it as we said in the, in the beginning for glass, water glass uh, glasses and bottles. Also, in addition, you don't need to concern about heating up the borosilicate glass container that you are heating up because it won't release any harmful toxins. It, it doesn't contain any harmful toxins at all. Uh, in addition, it is bisphenol free, so it is itself it's BPA free, which is very important because it is environmentally friendly. And also it is made of uh, naturally abundant materials and it can be recycled into new products which are made of the same material of borosilicate glass. Moreover, um, environmentally friendly materials are considered the plastics and biodegradable one. How you can compare that? The only comparison that you can make is that unfortunately only 90% of all plastic materials or uh, um, containers that we are using are getting recycled and uh, they are made also from petroleum and unfortunately sometimes they end up in either landfill or the ocean. In addition, sometimes the process of breaking down the reusing plastics leaves a heavy carbon footprint. Since borosilicate glass is made from naturally abundant materials that are more easily obtained than oil, the environmental impact is also smaller. And uh, I have to mention that if we will handle with care the borosilicate glass, it can last a lifetime. The only problem is the economic one. Uh, there really isn't enough borosilicate glass being consumed and disposed of to make it worthwhile to design a process to collect transport or clean and reintroduce the borosilicate glass products, in other words, to recycle. So we might use or reintroduce uh, sometimes in the factory the rejected borosilicate glass products or the damaged ones, and that's not what most people think of as recycling method that's the only consideration that we should take uh, so borosilicate glass has a high refractive index what benefits that that give to potential users a refractive index or refraction index or index or refraction it depends how we want to use it of a material is a number with without any dimensions that describes how fast the light travels throughout the whole material 
So taking in consideration what is a refraction index and that borosilicate glass has a high refraction index, uh, we understand that uh, this type of material can be used for demanding optical applications, uh, for example, base material for precision optics, windows, lenses and prisms, as we said before, substrates for mirror and filter coatings, um, also in sensor technology, as in lenses as well, and dispersion prisms, etc. So I will say in any demanding optical application it can be used. Can this material be made to order and what are the size and shapes limitations? Of course, um, every prism or, or window, glass window for microscopes, for example, or for high vacuum applications, it is made to order and a good fellow can offer that. So um, the only limitations that I would say is that about the thickness, but we can understand that because it's a glass material. So the thickness will be, the, the thinnest one may, might be around one millimeter. Uh, also, usual dimensions are about 200 by 200 millimeters, but it can go a little bit um, wider. However, uh, that's upon request, and we have to discuss the limitations afterwards in thickness, because otherwise it has been it has to be thicker when it is more uh, it is larger as a component. It has to be thicker to withstand any pressure or any other. Uh, larger glass dimensions are often and they are possible upon request but a, and if let's say a material is uh, over 200 by 200 that I mentioned millimeter uh, wide then uh, we have to be uh, it has to be thicker so we have to consider all these limitations and we can also we should also consider um, um, options like pressure, temperature and stuff like that in order to find the most suitable uh, size and thickness. Okay, thank you. And how many uh, available uh, forms do we have on our Goodfellow catalogue? Goodfellow offers a, a great variety of thicknesses and forms and uh, sizes of borosilicate glass. For example, you can have a borosilicate glass rod or a plate or a tube. In addition, uh, through uh, the Goodfellow catalog, you could see that we have different, uh, let's say, except from wall thicknesses or thicknesses in general, we have several polished or unpolished materials and products. So it, depending on the application, uh, the customer should consider if they want optical clarity, then they will need a polished plate or rod or tube. And if they do not uh, require an optical clarity, then they can go with an unpolished one. Also, tubes can be polished or cut um, without being polished at the end. We offer a great variety and we can do requests uh, according to the customer specifications. Thank you very much, Afrodite. And of course, all this information can be found on our website, goodfellow.com and goodfellowusa.com with all the language uh, versions also there. Um, Talking about this material and compare, of course, uh, borosilicate glass with other other materials, special fused silica and quartz glass. Uh, which applications will we recommend for borosilicate glass instead of fused silica and quartz glass? For the beginning, I would like to say what are the differences between those materials. So borosilicate glass mainly contains silica, boric oxide, sodium oxide and aluminium oxide. 
The main differences between the fused silica and quartz is that fused silica is composed of a non-crystalline silica glass, while quartz is made from crystalline silica. The difference also gives fused silica high, very high transmission in the UV spectrum compared to that of the quartz. Also, the contents of uh, quartz and fused silica, which is only silica, uh, make this material ideal for semiconductor applications and technical and laboratory equipment because it ha they both have extremely low coefficient of thermal ex expansion and they are shock resistant. And this coefficient of thermal expansion is lower than borosilicate glass. Also, they can be used in high, extremely high temperature and they have high temperature resistance and better than the borosilicate glass. They have better optical transmission than the borosilicate glass and quartz is typically used for high temperature applications or where optical quality or the electric properties are critical. So impurities in borosilicate glass are measured in percentage while impurities in quartz and fused silica are measured in ppm. So as we can understand, fused silica and quartz are high purity material. Uh, regarding borosilicate glass, it can be used in, as we said, demanding optical, optical application, but it has its limitation that we can discuss about it, mainly for lenses and prisms, while, as we said, few silica and guards can be used in, in different applications and uh, demanding, as well, uh, high temperature applications. And what about the price, the cost of this material compared with uh, fused silica and quartz? Borosilicate glass is co more cost effective than quartz, for example, and of course more cost effective than fused silica. Fused silica is the most expensive one. So depending on the application, as I said, depending, let's say, of the pressure that we are using as well, because borosilicate glass can withstand uh, higher pressures, uh, than quartz, for example, but also borosilicate uh, glass cannot withstand the same temperatures as quartz. So it, depending, it is depending entirely on the application of the customer. Okay, thank you very much for that. You talk about some limitations and of course the thermal sensitivity is one of the limitations that uh, borosilicate glass have make it unsuitable for um, to space-based applications. What are the thermal limitations of this product? That's the main concern about why not using a more cost-effective product like borosilicate glass and why, why you need to use quartz, for example, except from the optical clarity and the optical properties, all right? Uh, borosilicate glass uh, can withstand uh, temperatures um, around, typically around 500 degrees Celsius while quartz can go up to 1000 degrees Celsius. So we can understand there is a great difference in temperature range and um, that depends, as we said, on the application and it has its limitations, unfortunately. Thank you, Aphrodite. Um, so is boris silicate glass the same as Pyrex? I will say yes and no. In the beginning, when Pyrex was made, it was made only from borosilicate glass. Afterwards, because Corning wanted to make a product which is more cost-effective, then it altered the borosilicate glass with soda-lime glass. So you are never sure uh, sometimes what you have, for example, in your kitchen, if you have Pyrex, which is made of borosilicate glass or uh, soda-lime glass. And so what is the difference between those two? 
there are differences between this type of glasses, borosilicate or soda lime glass. The main difference between soda lime glass and borosilicate glass is their silicon dioxide and boron trioxide content. Uh, so, soda lime glass typically contains 69% silicon dioxide compared to borosilicate glass, which is containing 80%, almost 80%. Uh, it also contains, uh, so the lime glass also contains, contains far less boron trioxide uh, than borosilicate glass. For this reason and what uh, and the contents of its glass, they have different properties. So borosilicate glass is harder than regular glass and it can be molded into more complex shapes. Uh, it is also more resistant to acidic corrosion and uh, it has better high thermal shock resistance all because of its content. So you mentioned the acid resistance to borosilicate glass, that that makes it suitable for um, uh, chemistry labs? Borosilicate glass uh, will not crack or break down as a soda lime glass will, so it won't shatter. As the, at the same time as a soda lime glass uh, labware will. Therefore, uh, chemists and researchers are preferring to use borosilicate glass not only because of the heat. Borosilicate glass will not crack or break down the same as soda lime glass. Therefore, researchers in, for the health and safety precautions are using it more than a soda lime glass labware. Thank you. And other common applications for borosilicate glass? Uh, common applications of borosilicate glass may include cookware, for example, as we discussed, Pyrex might be uh, made from uh, borosilicate glass. Uh, water jugs, bottles, uh, they're more durable than soda lime glass, as we mentioned before. Wine glasses or other industrial applications uh, that, soda, that traditional soda lime glass will not be beneficial, mainly um, applications that they are used for, uh, let's say, heavy duty applications or consoles or uh, in machinery or for windows that we need better optical clarity and they can uh, withstand higher temperatures or pressures. Okay, thank you very much for that, Aphrodite. It's always a pleasure to talk to you about uh, um, those interesting materials. Thank you very much, uh, Joel. Indeed, it was a pleasure. And we'll speak again next week. Materials inside and outside in have teamed up in their mission to make the art and materials world more accessible to everyone. We invite you to join us by sharing this podcast and donating on our website Materials Hub, where 100% of the donations will go towards supporting artists from marginalized groups. Outside In pretty much started on an experience that happened in a period of my life when I'd sort of fallen out of love with the art world and I ended up volunteering for a charity working with people with learned disabilities. I was immediately struck by the talent of the people at that table. You know, at that time I just remember thinking, oh my God, how lucky, you know, what, what, what a thing to have found. And just seeing how inspired and passionate they are about what they've been doing is really rewarding. One of the latest exhibition openings we had was for our recent national exhibition called Environments. For the artists to be in that space and witness people really valuing their work, buying it, just was so special to watch. So the, the aims for the charity are to uh, see it become truly national and people will then know 
the name outside in. Uh, the aspiration is to change the art world. And, you know, you'd hope at a certain point that you'd become, you know, not needed. Which is why it's still so important that we are running these exhibitions that we are, that we're representing the artists that we do represent. I hope, that, you know, we'd get to that point where the art world is a much fairer place. Um, yeah, and then I could step back. <laughs> Next, I'm joined by Ian Doggett. Ian has been working with Glass for some time and has been a key player at Goodfellow during some of the critical moments in the company's recent developments. Now a board member, Ian has always been a knowledgeable and helpful member of the Goodfellow team. Hello, Ian. Thank you very much for your time today. Morning, Joe. Thanks very much for inviting me onto the podcast. So you've been working with Goodfellow for a few years now, but before that, uh, and of course, because this podcast is about technical glass, uh, you work for a company uh, called Technical Glass. Uh, when did you start Technical Glass? That's right, Joel. It was uh, 17 years ago, actually, 2004. And at the time, what was your position? What was your work at Technical Glass before Goodfellow acquired it? Yeah, I was the general manager at the Technical Glass Company. Um, Goodfellow acquired Technical Glass in 2008, um, and we actually stayed in the same location, which was the, the other side of Cambridge, uh, for another two years before the company moved up and uh, moved into the same location as Goodfellow are, are headquartered in. And when you moved from Technical Glass to Goodfellow, I think it was around 2011, if I'm not wrong, that you moved to the Goodfellow um, offices. What was your position initially with, with Goodfellow? Again, it was a, a management position, so it was more on the business development side, um, visiting customers, uh, suppliers, uh, doing some technical uh, work uh, and just managing the, the Goodfellow Ceramic and Glass division, as we became known at that time. So there was some, obviously, changes moving from a, a smaller company into uh, a bigger company such as, as Goodfellow. Uh, we had the change of location that I mentioned there. We obviously had uh, some staff changes at the time and we gradually began to benefit from uh, Goodfellow's worldwide network uh, because Technical Glass were primarily selling into the UK market and Goodfellow were almost the opposite and primarily exporting good so we we had that period there where we uh, were moving from that smaller uk focused company into the the bigger goodfellow um, network and uh, that that did lead to some uncertainty with customers for for a while uh, goodfellow i think were more primarily known for selling metals and alloys uh, and technical glass obviously more known for selling glass and also ceramics so the change of name from the technical glass company to the Goodfellow ceramic and glass division was actually quite appropriate because for some time technical glass had been selling more ceramic than glass uh, so that to bring in the two names in together um, made that much more clear and uh, obviously from then we went on to do uh, exhibitions with Goodfellow and, and meet some of the Goodfellow customers and uh, explain the wider product range that, that the company now had. Interesting. Uh, as you said, it uh, was, was a, a, an expand of the, the range for, for Goodfellow, having the, the, the technical glass uh, strengths and, and glass uh, expertise. You have a lot of experience with glass. Uh, um, I, I know about that. An interest of yours for long? Not only glass, to be honest, uh, Joel. It's uh, because I have a material science uh, and engineering background. So my interest is in materials in general. And I actually spent a, a good eight to nine years 
working in technical roles in the foundry industry. So we were casting metal, machining metal um, and the like. And then when I moved into the role with the technical glass company, I kind of had to remember all those things about glass and ceramics, which are quite different to uh, metals and alloys. So there are different manufacturing methods, for example, different design considerations, sharp corners and surface defects, for example, with glass uh, are the kind of things you want to avoid. There are different machining procedures. Uh, and then you kind of start thinking about what can glass be used for? What, what's the benefit of using glass instead of perhaps a, a metal or an alloy? You've got things like the visual um, side of glass, electrical insulation, chemical resistance. Uh, and that leads you then to look into other materials, uh, things like glass, uh, excuse me, things like quartz and, and sapphire, which are kind of related to uh, glass and similar properties there. Um, but overall, my interest is is more in uh, materials in general, and I've been very lucky since I joined Goodfellow to have been able to visit many customers to learn what their ideas are, their applications are, uh, and to go on events uh, with Goodfellow and meet some of these people face to face. Thank you, Ian. When we talk about glass uh, uh, from from a non-scientific side, we always think of glass being fragile, uh, a fragile material. Did you have any disaster stories about glass? That's a good question, Joel. And although people tend to think uh, that glass is notoriously fragile, and obviously it can be, and we've all had the uh, incident of uh, dropping something in the kitchen or somewhere else and uh, having to clear it up, actually glass has got a bit of a bad reputation for fragility uh, but it has some amazing properties and um, just before I answer your particular question there just wanted to say uh, that one of the probably best examples of the, the amazing properties of glass is with the Prince Rupert's drops and you might say what is a Prince Rupert drop it's basically a toughened glass bead that's created by dripping molten glass into cold water and it forms a shape that looks a lot like a very large tadpole. So with a big ball shaped head at one end uh, and a very long skinny tail. But the head end is extremely strong and you can hit it with a hammer or actually there are some uh, very good uh, YouTube videos you can watch where people have uh, uh, shot the, the head end with a bullet uh, and that end has survived intact and, and will not break. But conversely, if you go to the other end of the, the tadpole shaped bit of glass uh, and you just snap the end of the tail, it, it causes a crack to travel throughout the whole uh, tadpole or the drop uh, and the whole thing explodes. So it's quite a good thing to see visually. There's some very good uh, YouTube videos, as I, I say, and some of them filmed with very high speed photography. And it really shows the process um, of the break of the crack from the, the, t the tail end traveling through to the head end and then the whole uh, thing exploding. And also conversely, the videos of the, the bullet or the, the hammer hitting the head end and how strong it is there. So I guess probably the next question is, well, how can that be possible? Um, and the reason for it is because there are very, very large compressive stresses at the head end near to the surface. Uh, and inside there are some tensile residual stresses so obviously at the tail end you're very much nearer to the center there and once the crack is initiated it, it spreads something like more than a, a thousand meters a second uh, very very fast and and really this drop prince rupert drop was 
a very early example of toughened glass and they believe these drops were created by glass makers hundreds and hundreds of years ago uh, they were named after Prince Rupert of the Rhine and he brought them over to England uh, sometime in the 1600s but really they've only been um, fully understood very very recently particularly with the advent of high-speed video where it was possible to see how the cracks traveled through uh, from one end to the other so kind of back to your question again yeah glass can be very very fragile but it can also be extremely strong um, and I think again to answer your point the the disasters that I've kind of seen usually relate to uh, the packaging of material so you learn very very quickly when you start dealing with glass if you're sending a glass product to a customer it needs to be packed extremely well make sure it's not touching the edges of the box has adequate packing etc otherwise it arrives damaged you learn that extremely quickly and uh, probably the only big disaster I can think of we uh, had a, a complex project for a customer who asked us to make um, various things including a, an assembly which was like a tube within a tube a glass tube within a glass tube and the external tube was connected to the inner tube and we at Goodfellow we felt this wasn't a product we could make ourselves so we partnered with one of our um, partner companies to make this they produced it they sent it down to us a good couple of hundred miles within the UK uh, it arrived with us we unpacked it and the the inner tube was completely uh, smashed so we reported this back to the uh, to the manufacturer who made the thing again packed it much much better this time and we uh, undid it when it arrived and again the whole thing was uh, was smashed inside so this time the manufacturer said okay third time we're going to drive this down to you we're going to put it in the car make it drive it down uh, then there won't be a problem and that, that's you know the way we can ensure it reaches you in one piece so they did that very very quickly drove it down had a meeting the end of the meeting we said probably a good idea if we just check the uh, tube is in in one piece so we unrolled it in front of them unfortunately completely smashed again just just that travel between their premises and our premises a couple of hundred miles in the car just went to show how fragile that was so in that particular case that had to be redesigned to take this uh, this quite fragile assembly out that was part of a, a bigger assembly so that's probably the biggest disaster i can remember thank you that's um, a very interesting story and and yeah it's exactly what you said it shows that the glass can have the two sides of it the fragile side but also the the, the very resistant one moving forward Ian. now you are one of the directors of goodfellow uh, um, and and uh, of course being with the company for a long period of time um, you also have been through a different different positions and you mentioned the packing and uh, and I know that you also um, connected with compliance um, and the more recently of course with uh, with something that we've all been through in the last year the lockdown how is that um, impact uh, um, on you and also in the company um, as a whole yeah, I think Goodfellow adjusted very, very quickly uh, to the to the situation that developed. We weren't working from home particularly uh, as, a, as a company and we had to adjust very quickly. And at the same time, we were receiving letters from customers in particularly in medical fields who said they were relying on Goodfellow materials to keep them in manufacturing and uh, allow them to supply their products to their customers. So it was quite a a high pressure time 
from a lot of angles, but the staff and the company, I think, adapted very quickly to that. And obviously, there were issues with not only our staff having to work from home, but family members uh, obviously in the same situation and, and children and so forth and having to fit around that. So there was a lot to, to take in, but the staff were very, very flexible. Um, I think we do still need to be mindful that it's uh, very, very easy to perhaps forget some people are, are working at home and we, we always have to be mindful that they're, they're there and they're working as if they're in the office. And we don't want to lose that good, uh, efficient interaction between departments that that there is when people are all on on site so as i say i think as a company we reacted uh, very well staff are very flexible it has obviously changed people's uh, ap approach to things but i think uh, we've done as best as we could in the situation that's great thank you for for that um and the other thing there's also a part of was uh, for a period of time part of your responsibility was uh, the preparations for brexit how is goodfellow uh, um dealing with with this brexit situation yeah that's a good question joel that's been again quite a big change for the company um although discussions have been going on for a long time with brexit there was a very very short period between that free trade agreement being reached with the eu which was on the 24th of december uh, and the agreement becoming effective on the 1st of january 2021 and it, it's a slight misnomer the free trade agreement it's called free trade but it introduces many changes into the way that we sell to the eu there are customs borders in place now uh, duty and tax implications rules of origin documentation uh, and we're selling to our european customers now through our german entity, entity uh, goodfellow gmbh but it's meant a lot of work for a lot of departments not only the it department in ensuring all our systems are set up to um, Catered with these changes, but sales and service have been involved in uh, rekeying some orders, dealing with customer queries, um, new returns processes. For example, if a customer needs to return something, packing and dis dispatch have also had some changes within their area. Obviously, marketing in uh, terms of updating our customers of, of the changes that are taking place, accounts, new accounts being set up, compliance, uh, new set of tariff numbers, for example was released so we had to bring that into our system uh, we have a lot more customs queries now export licenses uh, required where they weren't before um, even purchasing from some of our suppliers in in Europe now has this additional layer of um, complexity which we didn't have before so there's been a pretty big impact on uh, the way things work we've been preparing for at least two years for this so we tried to put ourselves in the best possible position but we did find the first certainly two to three weeks of the year some things were out of our control so there were uh, many backlogs for example with uh, some shipments into Europe and it, it was a, a difficult time for, for us and our customers but we've done again what we a bit about uh, some other parts of your work with with Goodfellow but this series of podcasts is focused on art uh, as you know so my next question is do, do you have any artistic tendencies do you have any artistic skills that you want to share with us I wish I did um fortunately I have some artistic family members but I'm not actually one of them I'm more of an art appreciator so I do appreciate seeing good art I was lucky last year just before the first lockdown to have been able to go to Paris and I was able to take in a visit to the Louvre which was uh, amazing to see all the art there 
and uh, heading back towards the kind of glass theme of the podcast was also able to visit the uh, the Saint chapelle gothic style chapel that they have there and that has an amazing extensive 13th century stained glass collection which i'd really recommend anyone to uh, to go and see so i appreciate seeing all things like that venetian glass uh, murano obviously a well-known area for glass production i've not been to the island there yet but that summer i'd quite like to go because that had a very uh, innovative kind of development of glass over the years much more decorative um, than uh, technical but still a very interesting place to see so unfortunately no art ability myself but i really do uh, appreciate and, and marvel at the uh, creations that other people uh, produce identify with that um, I'm, the, I'm the same as you Ian I prefer to to see what the other people create uh, we also partner with uh, with a charity called outside in as you know uh, um, that what the charity does is try to make the art world a fair place and how does this value resonates with Goodfellow yeah firstly I was going to say until the Goodfellow partnership I was actually unaware of uh, such a charity existed and uh, I certainly do believe that the that talent shouldn't be constrained by social circumstances or, or health or disabilities. So I kind of thought about that and thought actually with, with Goodfellow Materials, we make our materials available to everybody. We have no minimum quantities, provide free technical advice and more. Uh, and traditionally we have been serving more the, the technical kind of applications, but certainly noticed over the past uh, few years seeing more materials now being used for for artistic purposes and um, the fact that we kind of make our materials available such a wide range and uh, small quantities then hopefully that's uh, of use to to people working in those areas i think the kind of it resonates because our employees do have a very very strong team spirit and we've actually seen examples during lockdown where some of our staff have taken up art as a hobby um, and some of their creations have been shared and actually very, very impressive. Something we worked alongside people every day uh, and not realise that they had these uh, artistic abilities that have come to the fore, especially during uh, lockdown. So I think the partnership with Outside In seems a, a very, very good fit for Goodfellow. Thank you very much for that, Ian. I know that you're a very busy person, so thank you so much for your time uh, to come and have a chat with, with me about, about Glass and, of course, about all uh, the, the, the other aspects of, of Goodfellow. So thank you for, for your time today. Thanks very much for inviting me, Joel. Next week, we'll be talking to Jane Stoner, Strategic Projects Director, about Goodfellow staff members that have an interest in art. Anna, Milena and Tony are three Goodfellow colleagues with artistic tendencies. Join us as we explore the relationship between Goodfellow and the art world. Follow us on Instagram page for more information on upcoming episodes. I go live with guests to cover any questions you may have missed on the podcast. We also welcome questions from listeners. And the best way to put those questions to us is via Instagram, materials underscore inside. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. You can access all the information on the website www.materialshub.com. 
The images and any case studies mentioned can also be found at www.goodfellow.com news case hyphen studies. This podcast is also available on alternative podcast directories, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Podchaser, Deezer, TuneIn, Overcast, and many more. We hope you have enjoyed this podcast and invite you to help us in supporting Outside In, the charity which aims to make the art world a fair place for everyone. Donations, no matter how big or small, make a huge difference to artists who have struggled to make themselves heard. We welcome you to join us in supporting Outside In. For all the information, visit the website matthewshub.com forward slash podcast.